You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, to point you to Jesus and to study his word. And whether you're uh, here in the room or online, man, we're so glad that you're here uh, studying God's word with us today. We regularly teach through books of the Bible, so we are excited to get back to our study of the book of Exodus in a series we're calling God Redeems. Um, and sort of it's a good split for us in our series. And we'll do some recap in the beginning just before we jump into it. Because we've study, been studying this book of Exodus and looking how God redeems his people. God is still redeeming, restoring, and renewing people. And in this text, we're seeing a whole group of people, the nation of Israel, be taken from slavery, Egypt, into something new. The nation of Israel was going through a hard time as slaves, but God heard their cries. And I hope that you understand and realize from this point that God hears your cries. 1 John 5, 14 says we can have confidence in this, that when we call upon the Lord, he hears us. He knows and he answers our prayers. And so God promised deliverance for this people that were going through a hard time. And uh, his people saw the faithfulness of God and his word because they actually were free. So the text says, by the mighty hand of God. And you may or may not know the story, but there were 10 plagues that came upon the land of Egypt and the nation of um, Egypt, and God freed his people. And so where we find ourselves in the book now is the people are away from Egypt and they're being led by God in the desert. I know sometimes it feels like wilderness or desert in your life, but don't forget, God leads us in those moments as well, okay? He's with us even in new seasons that we don't experience or we may not want to put ourselves in, he is with us. And so the people are learning to be led by God. They're being learned to be led by God and there's a cloud and there's fire. And God is leading them in this unique and special way. And the people are redeemed now. And there's this, this verse uh, in the Bible that sort of summarizes the thing that God, that God leaves us, that he loves us and he cares for us. And you can see as you look at this people, God's mighty hand. He's super powerful, but he's super caring and gracious and loving. And sometimes people forget both of those things. Now, this is a short, very version. We actually have 28 messages we've gone through the book of Exodus so far. Can you believe it? Only up to chapter 18. But we're going we're gonna to go and continue in these next sections. Uh, and tonight will be in Exodus 19, which is sort of another aspect and section of redemption as we study and journey through this book. God is now going to make a covenant with the nation of Israel and give them what he calls the Ten Commandments. Now, Exodus 19, uh, it sets the stage for the Ten Commandments, and really, chapters 19 through 25 is this own little section, uh, sort of bookends to what Exodus 24, 7 says, this covenant scroll. If you look in Scripture, there's this covenant scroll, which include the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, but it also includes the ordinances of God in chapter 21 through 23, sort of a summary of a long version of Leviticus. If you ever tried to read through Leviticus, it could be really, really dry and boring. There's a lot of law, a lot of rules. 613 Levitical laws is what's happening and going to happen and what we're going to be studying. It's going to be amazing. Let me give you a little, uh, a little quote here, sort of get you, get, you, uh, get you going here. It says, central to the book of Exodus, and indeed the entire Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, is the covenant made between Yahweh, the Lord, and Israel, on Sinai, comprised in Exodus 19 
through 24. I just want to get your mind right. I just want to get you going back into the book. You know, we're just, we're warming it up. We're going to jump into it. This section of Exodus is crucial because God is going to give the nation direction through his word, the law. And this law is a moral law. This law is a civil law. And this law is a ceremonial law. And you look at these Laws, and of course, we have the whole book in the Pentateuch, Le- book of Leviticus, that go way in details into it 613 laws. Again, another commentator said in chapter 19, about chapter 19, chapter 19 focuses on Yahweh setting the terms of the relationship between Israel and himself. He has delivered the people, but the terms of the relationship have not been set. So he's going to have a meaning, he's going to establish what the Bible calls a covenant with the people. And a covenant, we have to ask ourselves, what is that? Because that's not very common language that we use. We may say contract or an agreement, but uh, there's something I'll I'll link up on our social media this week and even in the message um, on our website. I came across this video from the Bible Project. They're a great uh, summarization of the Bible, and they do a lot of good stuff. And they have this thing on covenants. And this is sort of a quote of what I got from them. And uh, it's a super engaging five-minute video because there are multiple covenants in the Bible. Okay, And they say this about covenant. A covenant is a relationship between two parties who, being, uh, who make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common good. And the reason why I'm breaking this down right now is because we're about to go into what is going to happen with the covenant of God, and he's giving ordinance and direction and law. It's like a contract. There's going to be stuff mapped out, and we're going to go dive deeper, but I want you to get an overview of this. They're often accompanied by oaths, signs, and ceremonies. Covenants define obligations and commitments, but they are different from a contract because they are relational and they are personal. God is going to meet them in a very personable way so they can have a partnership and agreement to move forward and have direction now that they've been free. Because even as us as Christians, we're not just free from sin, we're free for something else. And we have God's word to direct us. And so we see in Exodus 19 that God is making a covenant and agreement with the nation of Israel, and he's meeting these people in a very personable way. Because covenants were a very common thing back then. If you look biblically about covenants, you see that throughout Scripture. It's not just a contract. It's actually between people. It's relational. You think about David and his best friend, Jonathan. They made an agreement or a covenant in 1 Samuel chapter 23. There would be covenants between kings, King Solomon and King Hiram in 1 Kings chapter 5, so forth and so on. You see this language of covenant, and the first thing that should pop to your mind is relational. God loved Noah and saved Noah, and he's made a covenant with him. I'm not going to flood the earth again. Here's a rainbow. Genesis chapter 8 and 9, he made a covenant with Noah, or God made a covenant, an agreement with Abraham in Genesis 9, 10, 11, about how he would bless him and give him children. Now, today in our culture, the covenant we're familiar with is marriage. We like to say when we marry people, it's a, it's a, a marriage covenant. You're making an agreement in our partnership. Uh, One commentator said this, think of a marriage, uh, a husband and a wife choose to enter into a formal relationship, binding themselves to one another in a lifelong uh, faithfulness and devotion. They then work as partners to reach a common goal, like building a life and raising their child, children together. And so the Lord often uses the language of marriage covenant, 
with his people, the church, we're the bride of Christ. And so there's this agreement. There's God proactively doing it, but then he actually invites us to receive what he's doing. And we come in relationship. And we know through the new covenant of Jesus, we come in relationship through God with grace and receiving that relationship by his grace. (coughs) So this is what's happening in Exodus 19. God is revealing his good character once again because he's meeting with people. I hope that you realize like we're coming in this space to try to worship God and to know him. He promises when two or three are gathered in his name, he meets us, that he's a relational God. He's a gentleman. He, like, he, he comes and meets with people and he wants and desires relationship. He is lovingly entering into a covenant relationship with his people that don't deserve it, but he's giving them grace. Again, one more commentary quote. Here, the book of the covenant is what forges Israel into a nation. It is her national constitution, so to speak. And this is what we're going into. This is what we're studying. God is going to enter into a relationship and he's reminding them, I am not far off, and he's going to speak. You know, they say communication is the most important part of any relationship. And God is going to now speak and bring forth life. In fact, Ezekiel, I'm reading through this, book and just studying it personally, and I came across this language. (coughs) And it's Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 2 through 14. I just wanted to read it to you because I think it's it's a little bit crazy. This is God speaking to the prophet Ezekiel about what's going to happen in his language towards people and choosing people and being in relationship with them. He says, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are at the land of the Canaanites and the father of the Amorites and the mother and her mother, the Hittites. And as for your birth, on the day that you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you. No, I pitied you to do anything of these things, you out of, uh, any of these things out of compassion for you. But you were cast out on an open field, and you were abhorred on the day that you were born. This is God speaking about a nation, and it's not a nation or a people that you would think that deserve it. They were abandoned. They were abused. They were just left alone. And God is saying, I recognize that you should have died. You could have died, but I saved you. He says, and when I passed by you and saw your wallowing in your own blood, I saw to you in your blood, live. I said to your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breast were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. And when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered uh, embroidered clothes and sawed you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrist and a chain on your neck. I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ear and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk 
and embroidered clothes. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord. Sort of weird. This is actually God speaking about his people and about the covenant and what he would do. And it's sad because in that chapter, he rebukes them and says, you've forgotten. They would forget what's going to happen. They would think that they were entitled because God is about to raise them up as a people. But he says, when I found you, though, you were nothing. God has a great love for his people, and we oftentimes forget about it, and we need these type of reminders. We need the origin stories. Maybe you forgot your own origin story of where you were before the Lord. Maybe you need to be reminded tonight that God made a covenant with you by his grace, that you didn't deserve salvation, you deserved wrath, that you needed his grace. And so oftentimes, we throw that grace away as the nation of Israel would do later on and the prophets would come and rebuke them and speak that truth over them. <coughs> and so this is a beautiful section of scripture. And we're gonna get into it. And that was just my introduction. You're welcome. Well, let's pray and let's read and study together. And let's study about how this God, how he loves us and he cares for us. And we'll continue to talk about how he redeems us as well. Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace. We pray, Lord, as we study this word, Lord, that you would do a work that only you can do. Lord, we want to come alongside of the work that you are doing in our hearts. I pray for soft hearts right now. Lord, give us time and attention. Give us uh, strength to even focus. I know for many of us, even my voice right now is like going out and speaking all day and talking and singing. And I just pray, God, that you would give me the words. You give me the strength, the encouragement that I could bring forth your word to your people. I pray, Lord, for all the emotional stuff going on in our minds. Lord, that you would give us clarity right now. Help us to see and help us to focus, Lord, just who you are from this text and the beauty and the splendor of who you are, God. So we thank you that we can go back to your word. It's like an anchor for us, especially as a church. We wanna gather and worship you with our minds. And so, Lord, would you just help us? Would you help us to love you with all of our strength? and all of our minds and our souls tonight. And God, may we come in agreement with you, receiving the love that you have for us. Salvation, may we walk in that tonight. And so we ask this in your powerful name, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. All right, let's start with the text. I do have it on the screen. I have it in my Bible. This is pretty small, but hey, it is what it is. I mean, I was just talking with Robin. This, this Bible's pretty small, too. I'm coming to, coming to the age where like, I need the reading glasses. Like, whoa. So let's read verse 1 through 6. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Raphidim, and they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they encamped in the wilderness, and there Israel, remember this nation, encamped before the mountain. Now, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob. Jacob was later turned into Israel, his name, and that's the nation, uh, the name for the nation of Israel. And tell the people of Israel, 
Verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. They experienced that. They walked with that. They had testimony of that. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And that's where we get that language where Ezekiel talks about God brought them to himself and loved them in that way. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, my agreement that I'm going to make with you, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, represent, uh, representatives of this kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. First thing I want you to do is take notes. God speaks to Moses. Verse one through six, we see God speak to Moses. The text says now it's on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out from the land of Egypt. So literally, we are almost at like a three-month mark, give or take a few days, right? We know the moon comes up every, every, uh, every month. And so a lot has happened in three months. Chapters 14 through 19 is the summary of sort of what has happened these last three moons or three months. There was the institution of the Passover, which we studied. There was a pillar of cloud and fire that just appeared and started leading the nation of Israel. There was the crossing of the Red Sea, that's a pretty important one. The nation publicly praised the Lord and sang the song of Moses. There was bread coming down from heaven to feeding them. God, God fed them uh, food from heaven, but also gave them water from a rock. They actually had their first battle, the Amalites, uh, and they beat them. And they were, were, uh, God was raising up more leaders to lead this nation. So a lot had happened in chapters 14 through 18 in the short period of time. And it reminded me to, to say God can and will do a lot of things and can do a lot of things in a short amount of period, a short amount of time. In certain seasons, it's sometimes God works very fast, very quick, and this is sometimes how he works. I mean, if you think about even all the Bible studies or just thinking about one of those miracles, it was like miracle, 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 miracle. God still works miracles today. And sometimes we could even, we need to hear this because we could think and we get stuck in a rut and stuck, stuck, stuck. And then all of a sudden God starts moving and things just start happening. And we need to be preparing for that, expecting that, and actually understanding that. We need to remind ourselves that his timing is perfect. And when he moves, he cannot be shaken. He cannot be thwarted. He does his will. And this was the fruit of something very slow. You remember that Israel was in the nation of uh, Egypt for 400 years in slavery. But when God wanted to do it, it happened. When God wants to do something in your life, it's going to happen. And we have to learn about the timing of God. Sometimes we forget because we're just waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. And all of a sudden, God says, now it's time. Now it's time. This is the time that the birth of the nation of Israel is going to happen, that he's going to fulfill his promise. So in the midst of all of this activity, all of this movement, all of these miracles, what ends up happening is there is a meeting with Moses and God. This is important for us because it's in the wilderness of Sinai. Israel stayed in this wilderness in Sinai until about Numbers chapter 10. One commentary put it and said there was more than 57 chapters of scripture that are devoted to what's about to happen in this full year as they are encamped at this mountain. Sometimes we read a verse or we read a few chapters and we think, okay, that's nice. This is their real life. This is what's going to happen. God is going to meet with them. The climax of this season and time for the nation of Israel 
was God was going to speak to them. God was going to meet with him. And so the text says, Moses went up to God and the Lord spoke to him. In this meeting, God spoke a few things over him and reminds the nation, guides the nation, and then gives the nation vision and purpose for their lives. This is what's going on. And if you start breaking it down and reading it, the text says first that God just reminds Moses and the nation who they are. He uses the language as I have bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, you know about a baby, a, a little eagle. The way that they learn to fly is their, fa- their father or mother, they push them off the edge and they just go down. But they have amazing strong wings and they actually can fly down faster, carry that little, that little uh, baby and then help them soar. And what he's saying is, I have bore you on my wings and brought you to myself. You are just getting birth. You're just getting started, but I'm gracious with you. I mean, it seems scary, but I'm right here with you. You're falling, you're going down, but I care about you. I just want to remind you in this wilderness, in this new section, this new season, I am with you. But then he goes on and he says, I want to guide you. I want to direct you. He says, now I'm going to give you law. And if you obey my word, you'll be blessed. Like a special treasured people. This is where Moses would receive the law, the Ten Commandments. God was giving them a constitution for the nation, and he was guiding them as Moses was meeting with God on the mountain. And we're going to study more and in depth of what those laws and rules are, but the bottom line is they're blessed as they follow, and God is directing him, guiding them, and giving them encouragement, but then he's also giving them vision and purpose as Moses meets with God. The text says, you shall be a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests. God's redemption had great purpose, and he was calling this nation to bless other nations. Now, this goes back to the covenant he made with a guy named Abram. We know him as Abraham, the father of many children. He he made this covenant many times and reminded him, but the first one I think was Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. He says, in you, all the, father, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God was going back to his word and reminding him and saying, listen, you have a purpose for your life. You have vision. I'm, I'm making you this kingdom and you're going to be this representation to the whole world as you follow my law. Now, this is an important lesson for us today because too often when God moves, he moves quick and it's fast and we find ourselves super busy. And then we get in the work in the ministry and God's moving here and God's moving there. And we do so much that we forget to meet with God. You ever have those moments where you're just too busy, where you don't actually meet with God? You just take a day off from reading your word or going on the normal prayer walk because there's so much cool stuff happening. I mean, listen, the, 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 the seas are parting. The enemies are getting defeated. There's new laws. Oh man, my family came back. There's all this stuff happening And yet God is drawing Moses to himself for a relationship just to meet with him. And oftentimes in our life, God will move in our lives and all this stuff will happen, good things, even stuff that like blesses people, ministry, but God wants to draw himself to us and meet with us. Why? So we can experience him and he can guide us. So he could remind us who he is and care for us. So he can speak vision and purpose into our lives. I wrote this down. Moses 
went up to God and God met him on a mountain. And too many of us want the mountaintop experience without hiking. We just want the activity and what Moses had to go up and hike and actually schedule an appointment. So I'm going to go meet with God and God met him. Remember, our mission is to pursue Jesus, not just to proclaim him, not just to do the stuff for him. We, we pursue God. We seek God. That's why I love that theme of the United 21 Day Fast as we had it, where it was just pursuing God. And yes, it was busy, but there's, there's always, like David said, like the Lord is my first priority. God does this with us as well. He speaks and he has given us his word. And as we go to God's word, it reminds us of his nature, that he cares for us, that he loves us. His word guides us and teaches us things to obey here and now. He guides us and gives us vision and purpose and he declares who we are, not only redeemed, but that we have a, we have a plan. He has a plan that we are priests. We're a nation that, man, we can make a great impact on this earth right now for his kingdom. And so I just wrote this down for you to reflect on. Are you seeking God? We're about to study this next section that's about to change a whole nation and literally history. And it started with just a meeting. I've had some incredible moments in my life that has changed the trajectory of my life because I met with God. And you can too. God wants to meet with us. This is a part of the redemption story that sin separated us and now he, he frees us from sin, gives us his righteousness. Why? So we can have good news of the gospel we can have a relationship and intimacy with him. Are you taking advantage of that? Where is your mountain? Where's the place you go to to meet with God? <coughs> and you know what's awesome? This wasn't the first time that Moses met with God on this mountain. If you were with us and you know the story, there was a time when God did the same thing with Moses and he's doing it again. There was a burning bush and God met Moses in this season where he was in the wilderness, lonely, needed vision, needed purpose, needed to have godly reminders of identity and who he was and cared for. And verse one of chapter three says that this is the mountain of God because Moses had been to Mount Sinai before but it was called something different. And now we're seeing Moses go back up again, again, and again to God. Seven times he goes up and down, up and down this mountain, up and down, up and down this mountain. It's like a constant drip. He's just continually going and meeting with God, getting words from the Lord, ministering to people, going back up. It's a beautiful pattern. But it shows us the, the faithfulness of God because in our wilderness seasons, when we have no direction and we don't know where to go, go back to God. You may not know the direction forward, just like this nation or even Moses is the leader, but he went back to God. In Exodus 3, 12, it says, he said, this is God speaking to Moses, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you, Moses, that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses is meeting with God because he's seen the faithfulness of God and he's obeying. The more you see God work in your life, it makes you want to obey God and worship him even more and obey him more. Do you know the importance of going back to God's word over and over and over again? 
of going back to God over and over and over again. God had spoken directly to Moses, the individual here in chapter three, and now he's going to speak to the nation, the community here once again, the mountain of God. This is how God's words, word works in our lives. He individually speaks to us as we're seeking him through his word throughout the week, but yet as we gather and we have his word, he speaks to us collectively, doesn't he? This is incredible of how God works, speaking to individuals, but yet also communities. And so verse 7 through 15, they tell us what God says to the people to obey. God tells the people to consecrate themselves. Consecrate themselves. Let's read verse 7 through 15. So Moses came and called the elders of the people. Remember, because he met with God, he got this direction, and God said, go tell them. And he set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. It's always good to repeat what God has said and not just your opinions. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So they were zealous to obey God. They wanted to vote and come, come alongside God and partner with him. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. He's going back to God and reporting this. And the Lord said to Moses, they're speaking again, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. Now, when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, so now he's going back to the people, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. He's prophesying. God can do that. It's a proof that he is God. Saying, I'm going to do this. On the third day, something's going to happen. You may know, may spark your interest. Jesus prophesied on the third day something would happen. He would rise again. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, shot with arrows. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people again and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. God tells the people to consecrate themselves. This is a lot of text and some confusing things, but let's just break it down. It's simple. It's okay. David Guzik said, God was going to appear to Israel in a spectacular way. And before this could happen, the people... They had to prepare themselves. They had to prepare themselves. This is what's happening here when God tells them to consecrate themselves. He wants them to prepare themselves to worship God. Worship means to bring forth worth. Now this word consecration, uh, I sort of wanted to write it down because it's not, again, another word that we use like covenant, but it is important to understand and get the concept of consecration It's an act by which a person or a thing is separated and dedicated to a sacred act. 
when you consecrate something, you make it different, special. You declare it sacred. And you consecrate to devote oneself to worship God. To make or declare sacred, to devote oneself to worship God. This is why in verses 7 through 9, the people say they're going to obey God. They're going to devote themselves to what he says and obey and follow him. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my word. They're going and they say, all the people answered in verse 8 together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words to the people. They're having an act to separate or to dedicate themselves to follow what God has said. But obedience is more than words. Faith has to have action, James says. So in verses 10 through 11, the Lord said to Moses about their words that they would obey, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people. God gives them something very practical and simple to do to express their hearts and devotion. Now, verse 15 tells us, be ready for the third day and do not go near a woman. Again, a simple way to display a confession and devotion. But it is sort of funny. Don't go near a woman. That's actually intimate language. One commentator said, in this situation, God wanted the people to demonstrate their desire for purity by putting on clean clothes and restraining desires, even legitimate desires. There's nothing legalistic in wanting to obey and to please God and to devote yourself to him. Again, in fact, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me, John 14, 15. God is okay with you expressing your love towards him in very practical ways. And so God was giving them some practical things to do. Hey, wash your clothes. You know that gift of intimacy with your wife? Hey, separate yourself, restrain, have boundaries. Get your mind just focused on me and give me some sacrifice. And he says, don't touch the mountain neither or you will die. And what's interesting is when you think about consecration and devoting yourself to the Lord, what you learn in this text is that consecration has boundaries. It has boundaries. It has limits. It's okay to set up limits for yourself, especially according to the conscience that God gave you. God has given us a conscience and he gives us rules and, and, and puts things on our hearts to do. And there's nothing wrong with having restraint as well. Not just limits and boundaries, but restraint. Say, you know what? That's not a sin, but I'm not going to go there. I'm going I'm to, for a season, do this or for a season, do that. And what God is teaching them is in seasons, you can actually purify yourself. You can come and consecrate yourself, devote yourself. You can do very practical things that are expressed of love towards me. There's nothing wrong with having constraint. It's not legalistic. In fact, love actually causes you to be restrained. In order for me to love my wife, I have to restrain from unloving other people. It's an important part in relationship. And God is saying, I wanted you to prepare yourself for relationship here. You said you're going to obey. Well, here, do these things. Get ready. Wash your clothes. Have some restraint. Just show, show me. 
Jesus even said, where your money is, your, the heart is there also. That's one of the reasons and things I think about when tithing, tithes and offerings. I love how God has given us such a practical system to be able to give an offering or tithe unto worship to God. And he, acts, and he says that that's an act of worship. We actually give our finances, something so simple, something so practical that most people would think that's just a fleshly thing or whatever. Like, we don't even need this. Let's just all pray. God's like, and you should also give tithes and offerings. God is very practical sometimes when he gives us law, constitution, and these things to obey him. And sometimes it's good to have boundaries and be in restraint. Now, I want to make this clear because I think this is important and, and a truth that's sort of highlighted when we think about consecration and devoting ourselves to God. Consecration is different than holiness, purity, or sanctification. I know, big words, right? Okay, consecration is an act that we do out of love and devotion for something else or someone else. So they are asked, show your love to the Lord. Awesome, great. But becoming holy or righteous is only something God can do. He is the one that only makes us holy. And in this text, there's a hint of this truth and a reminder as it mentions the third day over and over again. It would be the third day that God is going to meet with them. And it should point us to realize the only way and the only effort that we're able to have a meeting with God and to have a relationship with God is as we go to God and consecrate ourselves to God, I want to worship you. I receive what you have. It was the third day that Jesus rose again from the dead and made a way that we can actually be saved that he purifies us and died on the cross and three days later he rose again. He consecrates us through his work and we need to rely on him and his goodness. And the New Testament talks about this because oftentimes we think about consecration and devoting ourselves to God. It's like, okay, I'm gonna do everything for God and I'm gonna get there and be holy and, and worship. Well, that effort isn't good enough. It says Moses went up to the mountain. He made an effort but it was just a mountain. God had to come down. You can go and cry out to God and you can do all the good works you want, but that doesn't mean that you're saved. God has to come down and meet you, Emmanuel, God with us. And he has to save you by his grace. And there is a mutual agreement. We are saved by grace, but we have to agree and receive that from the Lord. Colossians chapter 1, verse 22 says it this way. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. The reason Moses was able to go up to the mountain and wanting the people to even to devote themselves because God had done already all these crazy, amazing things in their life. They were responding to what God had already done in their life, just like our salvation. We respond. We love, John says, because he first loved us. So our consecration, our devotion to God, our little restraint or us doing a good work like cleaning our clothes and giving the practical sense, that's beautiful and that's worship unto the Lord, but it's only a response to God, not in order to actually have a relationship with God. God initiated and said, you're gonna come back to me as a sign. I'm gonna do this. And now Moses is saying, I want to consecrate myself to you. I'm going to meet God. And I, I remember he said that word, I'm going to obey him. 
And now God's like, I want the whole nation to do it. Come on, have a relationship. And so God is the only one that can make us holy. And he did this with his perfect life as he died for our sins on the cross in order to redeem us and for us to even have fellowship with him through his life, death, and resurrection. And this is so important because the world thinks if you do better or try harder, that's gonna get you a relationship with God. And they would never say language like just consecrate yourself. But as a Christian, when we think of consecration, you need to understand that's a response. You don't earn your salvation or earn your holiness or your righteousness. We're justified, declared right before God because Jesus cried on the cross to tell us die. He consecrated, he separated us and pulled us and we just respond and receive that gift he's given us. Make sense? A little heady, I know. But how do you summarize this in just an hour or less? This is how we do it. Now, the rest of the chapter reminds us of this truth, this important fact that God is holy. God is holy. He's the one that is so special, so different, so incredible. And verses 16 through 25 teach us this. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud on the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down to Mount Sinai and to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord or to the, to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And the Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, now go down and come up, bringing Aaron. Remember, Aaron was his brother, the prophet, with him. But do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and he told them, God is holy. Just for a moment, can you imagine what's happening here? If you saw a mountain and smoke come down and fire from the sky and thunder and light, like, I mean, I get scared at hurricanes, cat one, okay? This, you, like, you have to understand just a little bit about what is happening with the thunder, the lightning, the loud sound, the thick cloud, the smoke. This would have been a scary experience. But it was to remind the people that Yahweh was God and they were not and he was holy. He is different than you and I. He is separate than you and me, distinct, unique. Only when we understand the holiness of God, Billy Graham said, we will understand the depth of our sin. We have to understand who God is so it gives us reflection of who we are. You see, in this section, there's a separation between God and the people. 
In verse 21, he says, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord and many of them perish. In verse 23, he says, You yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And this text is a good reminder for us today. We as God's people that have the word of God and understand who God is, we need to have a higher view of God. We need to ask God to help us see how holy he is, how big he is, how glorious he is. There is a might to him, a weight, a power, a beauty. There's something unique and special about our God. The psalmist would say it this way in Psalm 68, 33 through 35, to him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice, ascribe power to God. Those majesty is over Israel and whose power in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. You see, when we have a small view of God, it truly affects our worship of him and how we obey him. Chuck Swindoll said, small ideas of God diminishes the beauty of his holiness, who he is. He isn't just the man upstairs, your homeboy you're hanging out with. This is the God that spoke and made everything out of nothing. That came down and brought tremble and thunder and, and just fright and fear in people's eyes. Fire. Hebrews says he's a consuming fire. He's powerful. He's the mighty creator. And in fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 21, they talk about this event, exactly God coming down. Verse 21 of that chapter says that God, it was so terrifying, was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. When's the last time you trembled with fear of who God is and how powerful he is, how great he is, that he has your life in his hand? There was great reverence that God was doing and bringing the people to in this moment, and this was a good thing for them. And it's a good thing for you to fear the Lord and to understand how holy and powerful and mighty he is. In fact, the book of Proverbs, we know this one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Do you have insight today? You want to ask God for wisdom like James says? Ask God for more revelation of who he is and how mighty and powerful and unique and special he is. This is how the Israelites knew that it was God speaking to Moses. Remember, God's like, okay, I've spoke to you, you spoke to them, but now I'm about to come down and show everyone who I am and prove you know, the Pharisees, they had this altercation with Jesus in John chapter um, 9. And because Jesus is a great rabbi teacher and he's speaking all these truth. And they're like, well, who are you, you know? And they say, we know that God spoke to Moses. How did they know that God spoke to Moses? Because God came down and showed him. This is what's happening now. You want to challenge God? You want to speak to God? The Bible says, let your words be few. He is holy, he is mighty, and he is merciful right now. But there will be a day that you will not speak back because he will speak and it will be a sword coming out of his mouth to judge the living and the dead. He is holy, he is separate, he is unique. How and why 
do we know that God spoke to Moses? Because God revealed his holiness to the nation of Israel in this moment on Mount Sinai. One commentator said this, Yahweh is presenting himself to the Israelites as their king. He has delivered them and now he intends to rule this kingdom of priests. See, if you have a small view of God, you're not going to submit to a small king. You need to know the living king, Jesus, who controls death, Hades, Satan, and victorious over them. He's showing the nation and he shows us that he is worthy to be followed and to be listened to and to, to obey him. So before he gives them the law, he gives them perspective of who he is of his greatness, of his holiness. And you know, I find that we too, as his people today, we need to clearly see who Jesus is and to listen to obey him. We need perspective of who he is. We need to have an awe, respect, a fear of humility to him because it does bring insight and it does bring wisdom. Chuck Swindoll said this, a shallow view of God leads to a shallow life. Cheapen God and you cheapen life itself. Treat God superficially and you become superficial. But hold God in a profoundness, respect. And, in, and it is remarkable how deep the roots of your spiritual life grow. So the writer of Hebrews tells us, after describing how Moses is fearful in verse 21, he goes on in chapter 12 of verse 28 and 29, speaking of this event, therefore, because of this, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You can't oppose God, you're going to lose. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is in the context, speaking of this moment, that God is holy, exalted, that he is the one and only wise God, the creator, the maker, the sovereign Lord, that he is the master, and he tells me what to do, and as his servant, I don't have a choice. The only safe option for us is to obey because he knows what is best. There is no alternative, no multiple choice. We have to have our hearts set on who God is and listen to him and his will. And when we trust him at all times with our lives, he affirms that and he blesses us. This is what God is teaching the people of Israel as he meets them in this special way. And this is what we need to learn as well. Our God is holy. He is worthy of our lives and we are blessed to obey him. Now, what is some application for us as we sort of land this plane? I was coming across this commentary with Chuck Swindoll. And so when you think about Moses meeting with God regularly, it reminded me about we need to remember as we meet with God that he is holy and we need to meet with him regularly. He gives a little outline saying, preparing to meet with God. One, be willing to obey, verses three through six. This is what we see the people do. When you meet with God, when you go to his word, or when you even come to service, are you wanting to hear his word to obey him? Are you willing to, to, to watch and walk with him? Verse nine teaches us that we are to be sensitive to listen. God spoke to Moses, but doesn't he speak to us through the power of his spirit and the word of God? Are we willing to, to listen to him and be sensitive to his voice? Jesus said, my sheep, man, they know my voice. 
Verses 10 through 11, or 10, 11, and 14, it says, he says, when you prepare to be with God, consecrate your heart. You know, Jesus says that your heart is a beautiful offering unto him. That you could present your life as a living sacrifice to him. And number four, show a deep respect for God's presence. Verse 21 through 23. Take your time to be with God, to know him, to serve him, to meet with him. And be reminded tonight that the only way that we meet with this holy God is through Jesus. The law was given next, but it, was just, it just shows us our imperfection. Next week, we're going to do a little topical study. Robin's going to teach on the purpose of the law, because I think it's important to understand that before we dive into the Ten Commandments. What is the purpose? It's to reveal that we are not holy, that we are sinful, that God is perfect. It was a tutor to show us that this covenant we couldn't fulfill. The people were so zealous. Yes, we're going to fulfill it. Then you have passages like Ezekiel where they're being rebuked and they didn't do it. And there will be times in your life where you're going to say, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But this covenant is based off the law. The law is perfect. It's holy. God can fulfill the law, but you cannot. This is, if you do this, then I will do this. And this is why we needed a new covenant from God. Not a covenant of the law of works, but a covenant of grace. Because now it's not based on our ability. It's based on Jesus says, I will do this. You just receive. And we have, God is now establishing these covenants so we can know we need a, the covenant of grace because too often we think we are holy, that we are good, but the Bible says we all fall short of God's glory and the law shows us his holiness. And when we fall short, James says, if you sin in one, you sin in all of them. But now through Jesus and the covenant of grace, we have to receive the work that Jesus has done to be saved. For John 1.12 says, whoever believed in his name, he gave you the right to become children of God. And now all spiritual blessings are found in Christ through his righteousness, not your own effort. But will you receive that? Will you go to God and meet with God through Jesus? For Jesus tells us to remember this covenant as Christians and partaking in communion when we gather together. Don't get caught slipping thinking that your consecration is an offering to God that will get you right before the Lord. It is a response. So let's pray and let's sing and respond. Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you, God, how we can close by just praising your name. Lord, this is what we see the people do over and over again is you meet with them in their desperation and they praise you. I pray, God, right now that you would meet us in our desperation. We thank you, God, that we can come to you, that we could sing, that we can practice communion and partake in that. And we continue to pray, Lord, as we sort of blow by these uh, scriptures, we're covering so much stuff, Holy Spirit, that the things that you want us to receive, that it would stick into our hearts and our lives. And Spirit of God, I pray that whatever I said that was false or inaccurate or not of, uh, of you, that you would, um, Lord, bring clarity and bring truth to the pierced people's hearts, that they would be blessed by your word and your spirit and you would just uh, have your way in their hearts. Give them what they needed tonight. And so, Lord, we all need you. We all want to partake in communion together because we know that you saved us not just individually but as a community, and you call us out. You love us, Lord. So may we respond appropriately. May we consecrate ourselves to you, devote ourselves to you, and may we bring glory as we serve and love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for tonight. 
And we ask, Lord, for you to be glorified as we continue to respond and think through the implications of your word and how you've spoken to us tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter what you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.